2: I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me this morning is Winifred Riley. Uh, She's the author of It Takes One to Tango, How I Rescued My Marriage With, uh, in parentheses, almost no help from my spouse, and How You Can Too. Uh, Winifred is a psychotherapist specializing in marital therapy and relationship issues with a private practice in California. She's a guest lecturer on marriage and sexuality, and her writing appears in the the Huffington Post, the Good Men Project, and on her blog, Speaking of Marriage. Marriage. Welcome to the show, Winifred. Nice to have you here today.
3: It's my pleasure to be here. All
2: right, it takes one to tango. Um, in your book you challenge which is really the widely held knowledge that it takes two eager and willing partners to turn a troubled marriage around but you assure us in your book that un- unhappy partners that one person alone can initiate a far reaching positive change in a mar- in a marriage very surprising to me as a social worker i have to say because you know we're trained is if you want to Treat a couple uh, in marriage therapy, you have to have both of them there. They both have to be engaged. They both have to be connected. You can't just change one person. You have to really connect with both. So, yes. How do you? Yeah. Yeah.
3: I mean, that is the conventional wisdom. And, you know, but in real life, how often is it true that both partners are simultaneously inspired for change? Or you know have or, or or want the exact same sort of change. You know this just doesn't happen uh, spontaneously or in sync. Uh, one person has a good idea. One person has a controversial idea. One person says, "I'm tired of I, I, I'm tired of standing by while you humiliate the children." Or, you know, I don't I don't want to stand here while you're yelling at me. You think that's being there for you. I'm tired of it. That's not what love feels like to me. Or they say, you know, I mean, I recently I had somebody who said, I think we drink too much. I'm going to stop drinking. And the spouse said, well, I mean, you know, I, I think that's going to really disrupt our entire social life. But pe- But she said, it's not good for me. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's one person has a good idea for change but, but, or one person says, you know, this is what I want to do to spice up our sex life. This, these things happen unilaterally and people often stop themselves. They say, well, we can't talk about that or we can't do this. And I say, who made those rules? And who made those rules is you made those rules based on we're not going to rock the boat I don't like it if you roll your eyes. If you make that face, I can't talk. And I say challenge those rules. Take a step. Step out of your comfort zone. But you do that unilaterally. You don't do that by agreement. You don't do that um, in tandem.
2: But what about the couple, Winifred, who goes, one of them says, this marriage isn't working i want to go to i want to go into counseling. I want to go into therapy, and the other one says no, I'm not doing counseling that's uh, that's just not what I'm going to do so let's say in your case in your practice, can the one person come in and begin counseling uh, uh, you know absolutely. counseling related okay
3: absolutely one person so often how I handle it on the phone is i say, "So is your spouse willing to come in No, she doesn't want to um okay, well, why don't you say that you're making an appointment. The appointment is next Thursday. And uh, on, on uh, Wednesday, say, hey, so I have this appointment. I'm just reminding you, you're welcome to come. I'm going. Um, I've had people come. I, I, I recently had had someone come in by herself, and then she said, I think my husband will come in next time. I, I came in uh, because we'd had a bad experience with a couple's therapist, and so I said I would go and, and I would check her out. Uh, that was unusual. And she said, my husband will come next time. I, I passed the checkout left. You know, I, I sort of passed the exam or something. And, um, but sometimes the other partner just won't come in. A majority of the times, actually, I can get the person to persuade the partner to come in once. Um, but let's say, let's say they, they can't. I say go alone. Find a therapist who is a you know is, is specializes in couples therapy, and a good a good couples therapist can work with one person. Somebody who's just an individual therapist is really mostly gonna is, is certainly fine, but it's not the best place to go for your relationship issues because you don't just need an ally saying, "Gosh, it's really hard for you to be married to that person." You need somebody who can hold a balance, and so I'll will be saying things like, "Well, you know, it sounds to me like, according to you, your husband acts like this. Of course, I've never met him, so I don't know. But you know, so let's say he does act that way. You know, so I'm always leaving open the possibility that I'm only getting half of the story, which is
2: true. And you're making it very clear to the, you're making the it story. clear to your client that that's the case as well. I mean, I was in I was uh, many years ago went into couple, eventually got divorced, so it didn't work, but it was, uh, couples therapy. And I would actually go to the session and my ex-husband was supposed to come in. And if he didn't, the therapist say, then we can't have a session. And because this is couples therapy and it has to be a couple. And, yeah, and that was it.
3: Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that because uh, you were the motivated partner. the motivated partner shouldn't be punished for the for the partner who you know is is he, is maybe unmotivated, but maybe you know i take a i take a little more neutral or or positive stand about the person who doesn't want to come in. Maybe they're afraid. I've heard people say um." I don't want to go into couples therapy. People do that; they end up getting divorced, or it's just the first step down the road to divorce. I don't want to go in. It's gonna. It's basically gonna make things worse, you know. So, so you were basically punished for. You know, you couldn't get help if your husband. So that's the two to tango model. Yes. That's the. You know. That's the. That's that's a, and that's one of the ways that that notion of of it takes two falls apart, because you know. If we think about marriage as a system, you know, you think about it as an ecosystem. If you start to – if, if, if upriver somebody stops dumping chemicals into the water, downriver you're going to start to get fish. You're going to start to have wildlife. You're going to start to – you know, plants are going to return. Um, and And marriage is the same way. Marriage is a system. Families are a system. When you start to clean up one part of a system, by definition – the whole system becomes healthier. So if one partner, you know, stops arguing, you know, it, it, an argument takes two people. There's one of my favorite quotes is this quote from Seneca, which says, a, you know, this is from like ancient Rome, a quarrel is quickly settled when deserted by one party. There is no battle, lest there be two. You know, when I first saw that, I thought, huh, interesting so if we're in the middle of some stupid argument about who started the argument or who was in a bad mood or why was i late or why didn't he do blah 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 if you stop and stand there you take a breath the thing fizzles out you just can't argue when two people aren't arguing and so you you know you if i stick with you trying to go to the couple therapy where your your husband wouldn't show up you weren't given any tools and it's based on this idea that you need two equal, willing partners, but actually you don't. And and that's what I that's what I did in my own marriage. It wasn't that my husband didn't want to have a better marriage; he just he didn't want. He wasn't interested in in, in you know just following my model. He wasn't interested in. um He's a guy who doesn't who doesn't like to get bossed around. So then he gets his wife, who comes home and says, "I think we have I have this great idea. Let's change our marriage this way, that way." By definition, he was gonna he was gonna gonna sit back on his heels a little. And if I had stopped there, we probably would have gotten divorced. But I just decided, no, I really want to change the I, I really want to change the dynamic. We were just arguing too much. We there was a lot of good going on. We were just too stubborn strong-headed people so I stopped focusing on him trying to get him to change and I began to learn some things that surprised me I actually discovered that I'm as big a fighter as he is I also discovered that I started about the equal number of fights that he did and I also discovered that there is no fight that was is too stupid to engage in and and I started to, to notice these patterns in myself And I began to change how I reacted to him. And the surprising thing began to happen, which was that he actually started to change the way he reacted to me. And the whole system started changing. And eventually I began to notice I'm not actually now. I'm no longer the only person putting in an effort. That's why I have the subtitle, How I Rescued My Marriage with Parentheses Almost No Help from My Spouse.
2: That's a great title. And that, that I guess that describes it perfectly um, as, as you're telling the story. But you're right. One of the things that as you're describing what happened like in your marriage, and maybe this is I don't know if this is a social work term, but you know, if you leave the playing field, if one person leaves the playing field, you can't play the game, the game or it has, to, it's a different ball game. It's not the same one. you You can't, so that's sort of another way of saying it. If you, as you say, if you're arguing and you're fighting and one person, just one, stops arguing, the yeah. argument stops. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, so I, I didn't know where you were going with that. I first thought you were saying if one person leaves the field, you can't play the game, which is true in a you positive You can't play that sense. game. You can't play that, which is true in a positive sense. Yeah. But it, it's not true when you say, "Well, you know, you if if one person disengages, you know, from like won't, you know, refuses to talk. I don't, I don't want to talk about sex. If one person leaves the playing field, then you know, if you think about, uh, you know, a game, you think about a soccer match. Sometimes they play one man down. <laughs> you know, they, the game goes on, and so if people don't say, "Well, I can't do anything," if you're not doing anything, um. You know, I mean, I have people who say I refuse to talk about sex. and They're in my office. I refuse to talk about sex, and the partner looks at me, and I say, what do you want to talk about? Well, we can't talk about this. Why can't you talk about this? Who made those rules that you can't talk about this? Well, he's going to roll his eyes, or he's going to freak out. Okay, let's see what happens there. Do you have something you want to say? You know, it's just you start to break those rules, and we break them unilaterally.
2: Yeah, that's a better way of saying it. Exactly. Yeah, so you, you, you change the rule. Well, you're changing the rules of the game.
3: You're changing the rules of the game, and it's not a disrespectful process. You know, I'm not telling people to act unilaterally in a way that um, damages their partner's best interest. Um, you know, but if I'm gonna, if I confront, if a, if somebody confronts a spouse about alcohol or drug use, and the person says, "I don't want to stop," and the person says, I I, "I I can't be married to you while you're drinking and driving. I, I, I can't do it," and the spouse says, "Well, you're just kind of cramped my lifestyle. You're trying to change me. You're trying to make me into you." That that the that, that the person needs to stick with it because they're not making a unilateral change that is ultimately in the other person's worst interest. You know, it's not like I'm saying, I'm going to take all our money and go uh, buy a sailboat. Uh, it's, 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 it's I'm going to take a stand because I don't want to see you die in a car crash or you, I'm not willing to let you drive carpool. That, that, you're, that you're, you're taking a unilateral stand that is kind of messing with the other person's <laughs> stuff but it's but, but I say, but you're not doing these things uh, you know, in a way that is damaging. I, I, I tell people, don't make unilateral moves that are ultimately damaging because that that's not gross. so So you know people sometimes confuse it with you know acting in your own self-interest and canceling the other person's vote. But what we're really talking about positive change. You, you know you're not going to do damage if you say, I'm no longer going to uh, stand by while you humiliate the children. Like, and the person says, "Well, you're just messing with my parenting." And you say, "So be it." But I'm not going to stand here and allow you to humiliate the children. You know, these are now, just, those are, know, are more I, dri- dri- I just want
2: to kind of stop you there because those are very dramatic forms of behavior. Let's like humiliating the children, drinking and driving, maybe drugs. What about? maybe the majority of people who come to you who don't have quite so dramatic kinds of of issues sure. but the everyday stuff whereas i think you mentioned in your book you keep arguing over the same thing and it may be just simple uh, i'm not a, i don't want to say it's, stupid it's but things nothing. that yeah oh yeah it, uh, but it yeah. keep but it but it happens day after day and it's and it's debilitating in terms of the marriage and the family so like maybe give us some examples
3: okay um, some examples yeah. of that um, so, so. Here's, here's a kind of a fairly simple, silly one. Uh, a couple would endlessly argue when one person was driving, uh, the other person would say, oh, park there. And, and the other would say, why are you always telling me what to do? Well, you know, I just like to park here because it's under a tree. Well, when I'm driving, I want to park where I want to park. And then they would get into a fight, you know. Uh, you know, I'm in charge, I'm in charge, you're in charge, you're in charge. People fight about where are we going to put the olive oil, which way we're going to hang the toilet paper, um, whether five minutes late it constitutes an egregious error, whether, you know, some people say five minutes is the same as no time. The other person says five minutes is five minutes. You know, and so how how people deal with some of those things, like the car thing, the, the, ultimate, the, the ultimate, you know, park there, don't park there. What are you really fighting about is the question that I ask people. And they usually don't know because people think they're fighting about the content. Well, he's telling me how to park. And, and what, what they're fighting about is self-esteem, uh, you know, self, the issues of self, uh, self-awareness, self-value. Why can't you, you know, why do you freak out if she tells you where to park? You can either park where you want to park, or you could not park where, you know, you could park where she wants, you could take some influence, or you could park where you want to park. But, you know, so people fight about these things because they're really fighting about uh, other, other issues, what I call big picture issues. We have our little picture fights, uh, and we have our big picture issues, issues of self you not don't, You don't respect me. You know, why is it an issue of respect if she tells you where to park?
2: Control. Uh, uh, con- yes, uh, as your—that's yeah. right. So,
3: but if you, if I feel like you're controlling me, I don't have to be controlled by you. I can, you know, I can, you know, if my husband says, y- "You should really do it this way." Here, you, you the, the onions are going to burn. You should stir them differently. It used to be that I would, my issues of self would get involved and I'd be like, "Why are you messing with me? I'm cooking." But if he says the issues, the onions are going to burn. I'm at this point. I might say, "No, I think they're okay." Or I might say, okay, I could turn them down. Or I might say, oh, you're right. (laughs) It just depends on the, you know. But I, it's no longer an issue of my sense of self. Do you value me? What do you think? I'm an idiot? You think I don't know how to set a table? You think I don't know how to stir an onion? Like those are so, you know, those are when people are fighting about selfhood, or they're fighting about trust. You know, like like you say you're going to take out the garbage, but you don't take out the garbage, and then suddenly this is an issue of trust. You're not a trustworthy person. Well, you know, it's, is is it really that the person's not trustworthy, or are you know are they lazy, or are they, or do you know are they just, are, you know, do they just feel like if they're asked to do something, uh, you're a nag? But that these are, you know, why is it why is it become an issue of trust? You know it becomes an issue of trust because somebody inside calls it an issue of trust. Um, you know, it's not about trustworthiness, somebody taking out the garbage. It's it's, an, it's about power and control and generosity and uh, in, in being able to take influence or being willing to participate. I, I had a couple where i I didn't see them for very long because they didn't really they didn't need very much therapy, but they came in and the guy said, you know, honestly, I had just a completely different idea about what it was to be a husband. I want, I figured I was going to be a husband like my father. I was going to go to work. I was going to bring home a good paycheck. I was going to come home and do nothing. And when his wife wanted him to come home and here's a baby and I need you to help stir this thing. And by the way, you know, the the, the plumber called and and he felt like he did his job. Why isn't she doing her job, and they fought about it until he realized. Wait a minute, I think, I think I came in with a different set of rules, and maybe I have to actually, uh, you know, get into this century and start to actually be a different kind of guy than I thought I w- I was. You know, and this. See, I think of that's looked- a
2: really important point. I think one of the things about marriage, and you talk about this in the book, is. People, first of all, don't realize maybe how difficult marriage is, and, and I think what you're touching on is expectations. And, you know, people come into marriages with different expectations, not necessarily good or bad, but just different. So A whole you know, you different have to- set of ideas, and most people don't talk about it. I was
3: just at a conference this weekend, the annual couples conference, and one of the things that, you know, that people were talking about is how important it would be for people to have some premarital counseling. In one, You know, when I premarital counsel people, one of the first things I say is it's not going to be what you expect. Uh, it, you know, you you don't know what it's like to be married until you're in there, so expect some bumps. I mean, marriage just throws two people into this boat and says, you know, I hope it's a great trip. Now, where's the instruction manual? How do you even operate the boat? You know, and so so I give people some ideas of... You know, these are the kinds of challenges you're going to face, and these are the kinds of skills you're going to need. You're going to need to calm down. You're going to need to have a sense of your own. What's what do you actually think? You're going to need to learn how to take influence. You're going to need to learn how to ask for things. You're going to need to learn how to tolerate disappointment because even when you ask, you're not going to get everything. People. Are do you ever get into this. with
2: a couple when you're doing the pre-marit, when you're doing? Uh, premarital counseling, because I think that really is, that's a great idea. I mean, but do you talk about, like, each, where each, each, where the couple is coming from, and each one comes from a different kind, even though they think their families may be similar, and that they, you know, similar, maybe on more superficial levels, socioeconomic background, education, those kinds of things, but they don't realize that their parents, and how they were, where they learned to be a First of all, a spouse and then a parent comes from very different places and very different yeah, expectations. Yeah, and so you know,
3: I, I say I, I ask people, how do you feel about debt? Uh, what do you what do you see in your future? Do you want children? Do you not want children? Do either of you uh, have a you know follow a particular religion? Oh, it's different. How are you going to handle that? Um, what what do you what do you think it will be like? If you go into marriage and, and, and you both, and you say you don't want kids, and 10 years down the line, your, your wife says, You know, I think I've changed my mind. How are you going to handle that? Uh, people change their minds. So we can't make these agreements. We can't go into marriage saying, We're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to do that, and then have it just be permanent. You know, you come in and you say, You know, actually, I, I, I want to go back to school. I mean, I remember I just had my, I just had my first child. I was probably, I was holding probably a four-day-old child, and my husband says, I really, I need to go back to graduate school. <laughs> and I said, I Perfect timing. Students, change your <laughs> job. I'd like, you know, just, we're at this pivotal transitional moment. I was like, okay, we're going to have to put this conversation off at least for a month. You know, but I, I you know, it's just, you can't, you don't know what you're going to expect. It's it. It, it's a, it's an issue of flexibility and and expect 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 the
2: unexpected. And then one of the other things I think this is important too. Marriage requires when you make changes in your marriage or even in your expectations, it requires you say courage, but also willingness to risk. And I think people are afraid to do that. We get sort of on a one track and
3: Yeah, willingness is- to risk. I mean, we live small. Um, you know, I, I sometimes I say to people. You know, if, if you give up the things that are important to you, if you compromise your core values, you're not going to like yourself. You're not going to like 25 down years down the line that you didn't speak up about something, or you allowed something to go on, or you didn't ask for something, or you didn't take a risk, you didn't say. You know, I had people... Who come in and you know and I you know I, I talk pretty explicitly about sex with people pretty quickly because you know nobody talks about it and they and I, they come in and I say things like so when was you know what's it like to kiss and I found out that there are people who people who will say we haven't kissed in fifteen years you know and why why don't you kiss and they can't talk about it you know and 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 so you know they 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 fifteen years down the line. They haven't kissed and they haven't dealt with it, or we don't ever have sex, or, you know, she spends and spends and, and we have no retirement. People allowed these things to go on, and I say, you know, if, if you just, if you're going to turn yourself into a pretzel, or you're going to submerge things that are really important, you're not going to like yourself, you're not going to like your spouse, you're going to be bitter, but, but what the antidote to that is, you're going to have to take a stand, You're going to have to take a risk. I mean, you know, even, and these are, I keep going to big things, but it's even on small things, you know. I, 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 you know, it's, it's, somebody says, you know, I, we, we, we eat, we eat too much junk food, but he keeps bringing it into the house. You know, like, what do you want to do about that? You know, it's, so, so there are just these ways in which people say, I can't do anything about it. And I say, "Of course you can." They say, "Well, I can't. We we can't talk about that." And I say, "Well, actually you can talk about it, but you can't talk about it without ruffling her feathers." So can you handle ruffling her feathers? Well, we can't do this, why not? Who made those rules? And and I start to say, "Nobody you made those rules, you can change those rules." But but it is going to require Anxiety change does not happen without kind of raising your heart rate a little bit or feeling somewhat that, you you know, there's some threat. You know, it's not a real threat. You're not going to really die if you say, you know, I, I, I think we need to get a new car. But but your brain is telling you, that you know, just don't go there. He's going to get too mad. She's going to, you know, start calling me indulgent. Again, I can't handle that. So they give up, and then they don't like it
2: we have a couple minutes left and uh, uh, maybe this question is not good to answer just in a couple minutes but one of the things in terms of the process you talk about is so we overreact and one of the reasons we overreact to each other in a in a, in a marital situation that's not working is because we're anxious and anxiety actually this is what we are ta- you know sort of been talking about but it's this overwhelming anxiety and and uh, uh so we are yeah. Afraid yeah, well, to, you know, bru- your yeah. brain
3: is set up to view anything that's unpredictable as potentially life-threatening. And so we're still functioning with this brain as if we're out there living on the savannah about to be eaten by, you know, the, we're the wildebeest the and we're about to be eaten by lions. And, and our brain really has not caught up, so we have to actually learn to take a hold of of that, that one part of ourselves that can talk us, you know, the, 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 your, your prefrontal cortex, your neocortex has some ability to reason and the rest of your brain is just going wild with emotions and survival instincts and people have to calm themselves down in order to even say, you know, I'd like you to slow down, you're driving too fast. You know, sometimes people can do it but if, if there's some way in which, you're, 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 you know, makes you anxious you know your spouse is going to start yelling at you, or you're going to you're going to hear the rap, oh, You're so controlling, and so you don't you don't speak then up, add, and then you, and, you don't do in, it.
2: We have thirty seconds me? left, and I want people to know okay. where they can get the book because there's so much more in the book that we haven't talked about. It takes yes. one to tango. Uh, Winifred Riley, Amazon, bookstores everywhere. Uh, it's in bookstores everywhere,
3: and I have a website, one website, to tango dot yeah. com, with information about me some more about the book, links to where to buy it, um, links to my speaking schedule.
2: Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Lots of good information. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show.
1: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Together in conversations that make a difference, right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. News, News. News. opinion, hear, hear your voice me. counts. Hear Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788.
2: I'm Catherine Zocch, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zock show. Uh, joining me today is Dr. Neil Bernard, author of The Cheese Trap, How Breaking a Surprising Addiction Will Help Lose, Help You Lose Weight, Gain Energy, and Get Healthy. Dr. Bernard has published more than 70 clinical research studies and dietary reviews. He's influenced our nation's dietary guidelines in a good way, and it's his research that fueled Beyonce's foray into plant-based nutrition, and also Oprah. He's uh, now filming his fourth PBS special about diet and health. He teaches nutrition and preventative medicine at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences, and is in his 17th book following two New York Times bestsellers. He has a message about cheese. I don't know if you want to hear this, but his message is, we shouldn't eat it. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Dr. Bernard.
0: Thank you. Great to be with you today.
2: Uh, fascinating book, great subject, and I really didn't want to hear the message. So let's talk about that. Don't eat cheese, because this morning I had cheese on a bagel, and knowing I was going to interview you, I was thinking, I hope this isn't my last bite of cheese, but <laughs> or it should be. Um, so why is cheese so bad for you? I mean,
0: um, I, well, cheese I think usually gets a good rap. I, I think for now... Um, you might want to set aside the question, do you want to eat it or not? And why don't we think about just sort of what's in it? And so if you put it on your bagel and it goes into your body, what's happened? Um, th- there are a couple things that, that I guess people should know, but people sort of don't think about cheese comes from milk. Milk comes from a cow. The cow is pregnant most of the time. Now, that's strange, a strange thought, isn't it? But a cow doesn't produce milk at all. No animal produces milk until they've been pregnant, and then they give birth, and then they start producing milk. That's true for a woman who's got, got a baby. You make milk after you deliver. So to keep the cows producing milk at, at the highest possible level, the farmers impregnate the cows annually. And a cow pregnancy is nine months, about, about the same as a person. And so for nine months out of 12, the cow is pregnant. Now, here's why this matters. Pregnant cows make estrogens, estradiol and estrone and others. They get into the milk, and the further the pregnancy goes along, the higher the concentration. Now, it's just traces, but when you turn milk into cheese, you concentrate it. The hormones go with the fatty part. And so you spread a little bit of cheese on a bagel or I'll put it on a pizza or whatever, and you feed it to your six-year-old daughter. And then, meanwhile, you get a phone call from the laboratory that you just sent a cheese sample to, and they say, wait, 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 has your daughter eaten the cheese yet? And the answer is, sure, she's eating it now. And they they will say, stop it, because we found estradiol in the cheese that you're feeding her right now. Um, And it's every bit of cheese you ever consumed um, has hormones in it that comes from the cows. And we would think, well, it's only traces, and it is only traces. But researchers in Rochester New York looked at men's fertility and found that the men who ate the most cheese had the poorest fertility, I mean the lowest sperm counts. For women, uh, those who consume the uh, least milk have the, the most healthful hormone balance. Those who, are, who have milk in their diet have measurably higher levels of, of, of hormones. And if anyone thinks that's good... The people who are most worried about this are breast cancer researchers who see about uh, almost a fifty percent higher mortality in the women who are the but biggest
2: Dr Bern- now I have to stop you because what about women who have gone through menopause because they need or would like a little bit more estrogen? Wouldn't it be you know maybe good for them to have a little bit of cheese so that they would have a little bit because they're they're sort of you know estrogen depletion or they don't have any estrogen?
0: Well, I think that that was everybody's kind of idea about 15 years ago. And what happened was that we started to study what happens when women are given estrogens. uh, The postmenopausal quote-unquote hormone replacement, um, which uh, the Premarin was the main product. And they funded a lot of research. Premarin stands for Pregnant Mare's Urine cremarin, and uh, it's estrogens taken out of the urine of a horse who, like a, like a dairy cow, was impregnated and so they're cranking out hormones just like a cow is in milk, but they put it in their urine. So I know, that not this a lovely conversation for this time of the yeah, but morning? We have to hear
2: it. We want to know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, so Wyatt so Thayer would take the urine concentrated, sell it to people, and say, gee, you've reached menopause. Well, that's terrible. What was nature thinking? Don't you want to have more estrogen? So swallow this pill, and you'll get all the estrogen that you need, and you'll feel more feminine and everything else. Well, first of all, women taking hormones don't feel more feminine, and it doesn't stop wrinkling or any of those kinds of things. What it does is, and the the reason that that the Premarin market collapsed was that it was linked to breast cancer. That if you, you know, nature sometimes has things for a reason. Menopause simply means this is not a good time for you to have a toddler on your kitchen floor. You're 50 years old. Now it's I time get when that. your kids your kid should be grown. So the reproductive window closes, and we say that's good because hormones are risky. Hormones can fuel breast cancer, uterine cancer, ovarian cancer, in men, prostate cancer. So we want to keep these hormones in check. And medical science sometimes gets full of itself, and it says, oh, nature just assumed we'd all be dead by 50, so it forgot to give us hormones. Th- that is not in any way true. It's the reproductive window biologically ought to open at about age 17 or 18, and it ought to close in our mid-40s. Because of the way we eat, girls mature earlier, and now they can get pregnant at 11 or 12. Which is totally abnormal, but but foods have caused that process to change, and at the, so anyways, forgive me for this long-winded response. But no, yep. extra estrogen is not a good thing. Um, we don't need it. There are other ways to be healthy, um, and we have now. Is there a difference between? Can, I
2: it. want to ask you just in terms of the cheeses, and, and uh, you haven't quite said we should never eat cheese, but. Is there a difference between processed cheese and cheese that's not processed? And also, is there a difference between, like, I always thought I eat, I eat goat's cheese and sheep's cheese and not necessarily cow's cheese. And, um, you know, there's sort of a cachet that, you know, they tell well, goat's cheese is really good right. for you. Is there a difference between the different Animal, animals, the different types of cheeses, and also yeah, yeah, yeah. non that,
0: that's, that's a great, that's a terrific question. And, and the reason that, that people were choosing goat cheese wasn't that it was healthier. It was that it was fattier and more kind of buttery. Um, and, and also it was on a small farm that you could drive and you could see a goat running in, you know, in the field and you thought somehow they didn't do the same bad stuff that they do to cows. Um, they are impregnated annually too. The males are always killed. Um, if you go around the back and say, I want to see what you do with the male calves, the male uh, kids, they will not show you. Um, Because like male calves, they are all killed. And then the females um, are kept separated from their mothers. And that's true both for goats and for cows. Because if the offspring are allowed to be with their mother, what will they do? They're going to drink her milk. And the dairy farmer will not allow that. So the females are separated. And you might be thinking, Am I saying that the male that the the mother cow can't nurse her own baby? The answer is she's not even going to see her baby once the baby is trucked away in a wheelbarrow um, and uh, they do cry all night long for each other so it's people who turn away Torture. from people who turn away from meat for humane reasons, which I think is is extremely valid and a good motivator, um, should probably turn away from cheese first because it's Um, All the cows are ultimately killed by about four years of age, but the dairy cows have to go through this rather creepy process of artificial insemination every year, and then they're separated from the the baby they gave birth to every single year, and they just go through it until they're about four, and then they're sold off and killed. Um, So it's not not a pleasant industry in either case. And the the goats go through the same thing, but the goat milk is slightly higher percentage of saturated fat um, and that makes it a little more buttery and more desirable from from a culinary standpoint for some people. But from your coronary arteries, it's not so hot. This, I is what I didn't
2: want. this is what I didn't want to hear.
0: <laughs> well, you didn't I'm want one of those people
2: who well, I want to tell you, doctor, I mean, if I go to Whole Foods, I, I do go straight to the, the vegetables. I get the vegetables. But then the next, it's not just an aisle, it's a huge section of cheeses. And I head right over there picking out my cheeses for the week. Um, I guess after this interview, I won't be doing that. Um, what do you do? And this is kind of a, 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 when you go out for dinner, for instance, uh, I'm going out for dinner and, and this is what, you know, this is very typical in a couple of days. And this restaurant is touted as one of the, you know, best new restaurants in New York city. And one of the big things that they tout, of course, is the wine and, um, cheese pairing. And we're going with another couple. What do you do not. Uh, how do you excuse yourself? Let's say, or should you excuse yourself, or because um, it's yeah, a social well, thing?
0: Um, oh well, well it is, but it's it's not tough. And first of all, wine is from the fruit group, so there you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> I um, thought you were
2: going to say you can't drink wine either. Okay, go on.
0: No, well, I mean there are issues about wine, and I'm teasing you a little bit, but um, yep. but um. For, well, first of all, um, let's, let's keep in mind where we're going, because if I say to you, you're going to invest in your future and, and you're going to put some money into a stock and the stock is going to rise, for the, you know, you're know you making an investment and so there's a cost to it. So you're not having cheese, you're going to think, gee, that's terrible. I, I really love cheese. The pay, here's what the payoff is. Um, it's the easiest weight loss you have ever had in your life people's skin clears up, if they have migraines or rheumatoid arthritis, very often those improve to a surprising degree. Sometimes they go away. The hormonal issues, um, for, for all those people who are struggling with fertility issues, this is a terrific step forward. Cholesterol levels fall. Diabetes often improves. There are so many changes. And after about a month, people go through this change where they, they start looking at some of these foods differently and they think, did I ever actually eat that stuff? <laughs> and, and they're really it, they're like a smoker who quit they're just really glad to have done it but here's what you can do um, there are people who, who recognize all the things that you and I have been talking about and so they want something that looks like cheese smells like cheese tastes like cheese but doesn't have estradiol in it because let's face it you and your friends aren't going to have any fun if you're spreading on your crack or something that you're afraid to put in your mouth so and your friends haven't heard this interview yet, so they, they, they're not aware and they're of it. they're
2: not going to. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they, they should. I'm they teasing. Should because, they will. Because
0: what I'm, what I'm talking about, it's true. Um, when I talk with journalists about this, everyone thinks, don't tell me this truth because it's going to mean that my taste buds aren't going to get this thing that they've loved since I was 14. I get that. But on the other hand, if there are reasons why we as a country are fat, two-thirds of Americans are unhappy with their weight. We thought that was sugar. That's not sugar. Sugar has been falling since 1999 in America, almost 20 years. What do you think is going up? Cheese is going up. Your average American consumes 60,000 calories of cheese every single year. Between 60 and 65,000 calories worth of cheese. <laughs> it's 35 pounds of it. And it goes on, a little feta on our salad, a little cheese on a cracker, slathered over, over a pizza like yellow asphalt. Um, and we feed it to our children, and then we say, "Gee, our kids are overweight. They should, uh, um, they, they should go outside and run. They should exercise more." That is, that's not it. It's the foods that they're eating that we that our great grandparents did not eat. Um, are you talking or-
2: about the quantity? To, I mean, can you eat a? Li- I still haven't gotten the answer. No cheese or a little bit is really just. It's not necessary.
0: You can do whatever. Instance, you, yeah, people yeah. people are free to make any choice they want. Um, but here's the way I look at it. Um, if let's say it's let's say I'm choosing for myself versus I'm choosing for my six year old son. Um, do I want my son to acquire a taste for foods that are going to make him unhappy later in life? Um, I might decide that may- maybe I'm just not even going to introduce that into him his life. Or my daughter. How much breast cancer risk do I want my daughter to have? Do I want her to have a 12% increased risk or 15%? How much risk am I going to take with her? My answer is I'm not taking any risk with my daughter that I don't have to. And I know that every other kid in school doesn't know what you and I have been talking about. And they'll push her to do all kinds of risky things. But if there's anything I can do to help her, I'm going to do that. So then it comes back to me. What am I, what am I going to do for myself? Um, you, I think it would be really hard to say that there's any risk to having a bite of cheese once a month or something. like that. Who cares? The risk is that once you brought it into your life and you tasted it today, then tomorrow that little devil comes back onto your shoulder and says, it wasn't that good. Why don't you just have a little more today? And it becomes a habit. And when you set up a boundary and just say, nah, I'm I'm just not going to have that food in my life, period, that gives you power you didn't have otherwise. And smokers are the ones who taught us this.
2: Yeah, that you I was say, that, that's that what it, I was thinking. Yeah. It's addictive in other words. It becomes yeah, it is. addictive is what is Yeah. It,
0: and, and we and we understood what it is in cheese that's addictive. We know that there are morphine-like compounds in the cheese that go to the mu receptors of the brain and attach and trigger the release of neurotransmitters that make us get hooked. Um, What about the doctor
2: tells you, well, you know, you need, in order to prevent uh, osteopenia or osteoporosis, you know, dairy products, drink a lot of milk, eat cheese, that's good for you. Um, Not necessarily true, uh, according to you. So can you talk about that? Because I think that's a big issue.
0: Your bones do need calcium, among many other things. But the cow does not make calcium. A cow is like you. The cow eats calcium. Calcium is in green vegetables. So if you're eating broccoli and kale or Brussels sprouts or, you know, other green vegetables, that's where your calcium is coming from. It's also in beans, too. The cow doesn't make calcium. The cow eats green vegetables in the form of grass. And so the cow is doing what you're doing. And then the calcium gets in the milk, and about 70% of the calcium in the milk that came out of the plants that the cow ate, that's never going to even be absorbed by your body. Milk's absorption fraction for calcium is about 32%. So um, we do need calcium. And nature figured, okay, we are a great ape. Great apes eat leaves. Um, there's going to be no calcium shortage in our <laughs> diet. And so greens and beans give you all the calcium you need in a highly absorbable form for for, for most varieties of green vegetables.
2: So Soy milk?
0: Soy milk is fine if you want it. You don't have to have it, but, it, but it's perfectly fine. And, and by the way, some people are afraid of soy because they, they heard on the Internet that it has something like hormones in the soy, um, which turns out not to be true. Um, there are what are called isoflavones in soy. But soy for, for any of your listeners who heard that a woman who had breast cancer in the past should not have soy because that could make her cancer grow, that, that's a myth that you'll see on the Internet. It turns out that women who consume the most soy Telling talking about soy milk, for example, or tofu. Um, Women who had had breast cancer in the past, those who consume the most soy now cut their recurrence rate by about 30%. In other words, they're about 30% less likely to have their cancer come back. And women who never had breast cancer cut their risk of developing cancer by about 30% also. So so soy is okay. It's healthy. It's a cancer preventer, but it's optional. My job is not to promote soy necessarily, but it seems to be a good thing
2: all right okay now what about diabetes we know that's an uh is an epidemic uh sure. type 2 diabetes um yes. and you say that cheese uh contributes to that to the diabetes epidemic
0: yes it does um Type two. Well, first of all, by the way, for for anybody who's who's kind of reeling with this discussion, let me mention that the cheese trap not only has recipes in it for the best fettuccine alfredo you ever had, (laughs) and I I even have a cheesecake. Without it's called divine cheesecake. It doesn't have a drop of dairy in it. Um, We have all kinds of things so that you can you'll have all the taste, none of the regrets. I even talk about the non dairy cheeses where they'll start with say almond milk. And then they add the so they they use the cheese making process, but instead of cow's milk, they start with almond milk or they'll start with cashews or different things. So it's it's a fun world and there are neat things to explore. So so the 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 products are all there and you can pair a wine with a with an almond milk cheese and you're going to be in heaven. You're going to be people are going to look at you like the coolest person at the party. So back to diabetes though, Um, I, I imagine what you're thinking about is people imagine that diabetes is caused from sugar or something like that. Yes, Um, Well, yeah, that unfortunately... And overeating
2: in general. I mean, I would assume that your body can't tolerate all the extra pounds.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's all um, kind of circling around the issue. Um, Type 2 diabetes is the common one. And in type 2 diabetes, it starts out with your muscle cells and your liver cells are what's called insulin resistant, meaning normally insulin, it's a hormone in your body, normally insulin pushes the sugar into your cells. But if you got type 2 diabetes, it's, it's not working. It's, it can't get in. Well, researchers have found that the reason for that is the cells are filled with fat. So, let's say I've been eating chicken fat, beef fat, cheese fat. Cheese is 70% fat. The fat goes into the cell, and the insulin can't work, and so the sugar builds up in the blood instead of getting into the cells where it can do some good, and you get diabetes. And then you go to the doctor who hasn't bothered to read any scientific articles in the last seven or eight years, and is unaware of this, and just offhand says, uh, um, "I don't know. Don't eat bread. Don't eat, uh, don't eat potatoes, and don't eat sugar." And that is ridiculous advice. It's, it's, it was. It, I would say it's um, out of date, except it never was accurate. Um, if you look at people in. Japan and China, where they're eating carbohydrate diet, and carbohydrates all day long in the form of rice and noodles. They're the thinnest people on the planet who had very little diabetes until McDonald's and other fast food chains brought cheese and meat into their lives. And they're eating less rice, more cheese, more meat, and diabetes rates are soaring throughout Asia as the Western meaty cheesy diet is coming in the fatty foods get in this the fats get into the cells that is what's gumming up the works and causing the diabetes so at our research center we put people on vegan diets no animal products at all and their diabetes improves more than on any other diet it sometimes it even goes away
2: yeah i've noticed that and if It just actually just got back from India and it's very interesting, which kind of goes along with what you've said. When you see people and, and there isn't a huge middle class, but when you go into the cities in Mumbai and you see the middle class eating what you just described, now they're eating all the, the stuff that we eat and there they are with big stomach, the big belly, fat, um, and very different than, let's say, people out in the country. Not people who are starving, but people are just on farms and eating who are just a normal weight. I mean, I think that is that's all throughout Asia, Southeast Asia, um, but we don't seem to. Be, it seems to be kind of proliferating. I mean, this we eat. We're eating more cheese. We're eating more. I mean, we're and and then we're also promoting this our, the way we eat globally. So, um, so what do we do?
0: I think that we have turned the corner, though, um, in public consciousness, and I, I'm going to I'm going to give credit to the Super Bowl. When Tom Brady won the Super Bowl, people asked, you know, for the New England Patriots, people said, okay, Tom, what's your big secret? And he said, you know, I don't eat cheese, I don't eat milk. Um, he's vegan much of the time, um, avoiding animal products. So why? Well, because those products contribute to inflammation, and it, it, it makes it hard to recover, and it, 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 it decreases the oxygenation of the tissues. And so it wasn't just Tom Brady, though, because Aaron Rodgers, who amazingly enough, is the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers right there in the Cheesehead State. He said, I don't eat cheese, I don't have any dairy at all because my athletic performance is better. And before them, it was Serena Williams and Venus Williams who went, they're totally vegan, um, and um, Novak Djokovic at the top of the male tennis world. You see all these people making these changes be, and and they are the top athletes in the world. And before them, it was the distance runners, these like people who run a 100 miles at a stretch. So... People are now seeing that athletes don't, they're not eating cheese pizza and stuff, so they're going vegan quite often, and they're eating like a stallion. They'll say, I eat like a stallion, I eat like a bull in order to perform that way. Well, you know, they, needless to say, meat and ice cream and cheese and that kind of stuff is not part of a, of, a, of a good healthy diet for performance. So if your goal is just to get through the day, eat like you need to win the Super Bowl.
2: Good advice. That's great advice. We only have a couple minutes left, and I want people to... The book is great, The uh, uh, In the Cheese Trap. Uh, we, you'll learn a, a lot of what we've been talking about today, but there's also a lot more information. So uh, you can buy it on Amazon, bookstores everywhere. Uh, and also, Dr. Bernard, I am going to try that cheesecake that you mentioned in your book. Um,
0: and, try the uh, ras some... It's got a little raspberry drizzle that goes on top, and take a okay, picture of good. it. It is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Dreena Burton did the, the recipe development with me, and she is just a genius. So The Cheese Trap, you can skip every, all the science of it if you just go to the recipes. You will adore okay,
2: it. Okay, go to the recipes. Enjoy yourself, <laughs> it is right? Really fun. Give us the website. They're going to cut us off in 30 seconds, so give us the website that we can go to as well.
0: Thecheesetrap.org. And if you buy it on Amazon, use the Amazon feature that allows you to send it to someone else. Because a person who's trying to conceive and they can't figure out why they're having hormonal issues, somebody who can't lose that extra weight, send the cheese trap to them and they will love you forever.
2: Great. Thanks so much. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show.
1: We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America channel.